The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from a steamy closet in Sweetville, it's Doctor Who, Podshock. Another one. Another? It's not the first one I've had in here looking like that. The Crimson Horror. That's what they're calling it. I have no interest in the deplorable excesses of the Penny Dreadful. Payment in advance, Flower. Taking a big risk, you see, I am. They'll have me vitals for fiddle strings. If they knew, I'd let you come to look at one of their precious stiffs. This stiff is my brother. I've come up from London to bring him home. Oh, I... Thank you for agreeing to this meeting. I'm told you're the investigator to see if there are strange goings-on. I read of your brother's death. Another victim of the Crimson Horror, I believe. So it is claimed. He was a newspaper man. He and a young woman were working undercover. Tell me, madam, do you know what an optogram is? <laughs> it's a silly superstition, sir. The belief that the eye can retain an image of the last thing it sees. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who, Podshock, episode 294. This is Louis Trapani, and welcome back to Doctor Who, Podshock. And joining me on this thrilling episode, well, before I, I usually go right and introduce uh, Dave Cooper across the pond, but in this case, Dave, you, you're going to have to sit back for a minute and let me introduce... Welcome back to the show after a, a long hiatus some, since before the holidays. Mr. Ian Bissett is back. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. You're the two car. <laughs> it's good to be back. It's good. Oh, no, he's not in favor anymore, is he? Uh, can't do that one. <laughs> it, it, is, it is good to be back, though. Um, and uh, thank you for such a... Warm welcome back. It's great having you back. It's been it's been too long, so it's um, but uh, you're here. It's a new year and it's a new show. So yes, thanks. And for, a new knee. And a new knee. I didn't know if we wanted to, to go public with that or not. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. my my knees are, you know, they, they look terrible in public. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not having um. You know, great luck with mine either. So I, I may be following your footsteps in one day, but right now I, I'm um, I'm glad you're going limping. through this. Your, your knee steps or knee whatever. L- limping in my footsteps. <laughs> limping, yes. 
So, as I alluded to before, joining us also on this episode, once again, none other than Mr. Dave 007 AC Cooper. Hi, Lewis, and it's lovely to have that sweet Mr. Bissett. We're almost, uh, you know, bosom pals. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be going now. It was nice being back. <laughs> Want some sugar, love? <laughs> this, this whole show is taking a turn for the worse. And this surprises you how? It's, it's, it's a sort of symbiotic relationship. <laughs> oh, my. Well, there he really does the evil voice. <laughs> These are clues, of course. <laughs> I hope so. Because <laughs> otherwise... You put me right off me match. <laughs> Pinch me line. <laughs> <laughs> well, stop pinching me uh, anyway. Now, without putting you off your mash, is that like mashed potatoes? What is this mash? Yeah, mash, mash. Yeah, it's mashed potato, yeah. But right, uh, okay. I, I've actually got a bag of Pontefract cakes to uh, sustain me through this uh, podcast. You're good. Now you got to explain that to him. <laughs> licorice, the licorice, little pats of licorice mm. with stamp-like coins, but they're lovely. Well, whatever gets you through the night. My my mum always said licorice gives you a good run for your money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Might be too much information there. <laughs> You know, what's it's strange is that, uh, I don't know, what was it, Pennsylvania or, or Delaware, that, that town, uh, that I mean, the state that had um, the, the, the water that was, uh, that, had, that leached chemicals into the water, and the citizens were, cl- were complaining that the water, they knew something was wrong with the water because it smelled like licorice. I said, well, that doesn't really give, you know, bow too well with, with licorice if it's, <laughs> if, no. if, you know. <laughs> That's what your association is. Yes. We knew something was wrong, we could smell liquor. <laughs> So, yeah. I like licorice. Well, our show smells like jelly babies. Ah, Uh, the black ones. (laughs) Well, it's not, you know, we are multicultural jelly babies inclusive. They're they're what? Like raspberry or blackberry or. mm, Anyway. I have a bag of them here unopened. I don't know what I. You know, I don't know what to do with them. I have, a, I have it on a shelf on display. Yeah, yeah. you eat them. <laughs> you eat them. That's what you do with babies. Is that what you do with them? Well, yes. it's not like you could get them in the corner store. You know, you could get like other Doctor Who paraphernalia now in the corner store in the U.S. where that was never the case. But now, but jelly babies don't still aren't selling. screwdriver. Just the jelly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm actually surprised that, well, I suppose because it's a... Uh, I'm surprised they haven't gone into, you know, um, who is it that makes jelly babies now? It's um, Hasbro, is, is it? it? No, it's round no, tree, it's, is it? It's, uh, I, I would have to get up and grab the bag. It's uh, it's not in arm's reach. Mm. But, but anyway, you'd think the BBC would, you know, make a deal with them and do the doctor's jelly babies, you know. Is it Harbro that keep buying everything up nowadays? Yeah, could be. I mean, I know they make gummy bears. Anyway, I think people turned it, tuned in to hear Doctor Who news, not <laughs> <laughs> Lewis's edibles. <laughs> well, that's another show. Uh, I, th- there's an official website for Jelly Baby, jellybaby.com. I thought you were going to say this is an official website for Lewis's edibles. <laughs> there is. Uh, 
But this, this I don't think is. I think, I think we'll this get is an impasta jelly time. baby. These aren't the jelly. This is some. Ah, uh, that's not the. It's, They're fake jelly babies. Yeah, let's let's go to the Wikipedia Wikipedia page instead. Um, Herman, <laughs> it's the it's the Herman Gielitz Company. That make yours or the real ones? Oh, they actually, they, they, um, well, they make the, well, this, in the UK, in the UK, it's Bassett's that make them. I no, think. this, I think this, this is not, okay, this is not the real Jolly Babies. The, the Wikipedia, um, page lies. Um, gee, that was surprising. The, the, these, the, these other Jolly Babies look like, um, Jolly Beans, but they're not, they're not mm. the Jolly Babies that we know. And love and the doctor. You know, the fourth doctor upset me once. The fourth doctor upset me once because on one of the episodes he offered uh, some alien a jelly baby and he had licorice all sorts in the bag. I was really upset. <clears throat> all right, let's. What if I do Doctor Who jelly baby? Yeah, they definitely made my bassets. Yep. Well, let's see. Uh, oh, you know Korea. what? There's jelly. Okay, one is called Jelly Baby. The other one's called Jelly Babies. That's the difference. That it's right. it's jelly. Bassett's is um, the company. Uh, were produced by Bassett's in Sheffield. Uh, yeah. World War One through World War Two. Da da da. Okay, that's uh, you got to you got to look for Jelly Babies, not Jelly Baby. Okay, dokie. Yeah, and the, it's the black. It is the black one. that's black currant. It's always been my favourite flavour. Well, that sounds right. Anyway, Lewis, one's never enough. You're <laughs> eating sweets. Yeah. So really, when the doctor offers someone a jelly baby, he should be offering them jelly babies. <laughs> you know, you put me right off here, because uh, right off me mash, yeah, because uh, I was thinking, for anybody listening to this episode, the drinking game would be every time we said the Crimson Aura. And now it's going to be <laughs> Jelly Babies. Jelly babies. <laughs> and Jelly Babies has nothing to do with the Crimson Horror, though they are crimson-colored Jelly Babies. <laughs> jelly Babies? Oh, hang on. i got to take a drink. <laughs> I, I'm taking a drink myself right here. Though it's only coffee, and it's not spiked with anything other than milk. Coffee. Coffee. Alan was walking around saying coffee today. I was like, where did you come from? <laughs> All of a sudden, I have a child who was born in New York. <laughs> She's going around going, coffee. And I said, coffee. Like, he's only three. Coffee talk. He likes coffee. Coffee. You've just now found out, Lewis, why the uh, our collective, uh, Cotton Collective show always starts half an hour late. <laughs> yeah, so, but we're going to go right into news then. So here we go. It's officially the news segment. So... Um, doesn't sound right with a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just making a reference to some other show. So we we start with um, actually a retraction from last episode's news segment where we we spoke about the news of the new Doctor's costume, the Twelfth Doctor's Peter Capaldi's new um, outfit. Which, by the way, we're going to get your take on it, Ian, since uh, both um, myself and and Dave already spoke about it. Uh, but we did at the time it, it was. I, I guess it, we had generally thought that the shoes were um, were Doc Martens, and it turns out that they're not. They're, um, they're, they're, they're they were not Doc Martin shoes. Uh, what, what kind of shoes were they? Lock lock loafers. Lock loafers. Lock is that how you pronounce it? Lock. 
loafers. Well, and, yeah, for the, for those that are keeping score or or coming up with a cosplay of, um, you know, a costume, it's not Doc Martin. So, um, Lokes, Lokes, Locks, L O A K E S. It might be Lokes. I think that's actually how Taras is it? No, it might be Lokes. So uh, Martin Clunes is safe. You can you don't we won't be stealing your shoes. And um... <laughs> uh, what I've heard since, by the way, is that uh, we, we talked about the fact that whichever the shoes were, that Peter Capaldi had gone into the shop to to buy them himself. He wanted some. Uh, he said he wanted some dress boots, which I'd never heard of. But I assume what he meant was boots that you could wear out in some sort of wintry slush weather but still look good. Apparently they went back the next week to get another pair for his um, his double, you know, for his... Uh, mm-hmm. Stunt. Uh, stunt. Stunt double. double. So... Um, and they were all out because all the fans... All the fans rushed yeah. in and bought them. <laughs> Just uh, like um, his Crombie thing, whatever. People were buying that. Three hundred $300 equivalent, isn't it? About... Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, uh, two hundred and fifteen uh, pounds is probably around that around that price in the U.S. Mm. So, Ian, what did you think of uh, this the new costume once when you saw it? Undo that top bloody button. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my biggest biggest problem is. Yeah, I don't. You know, if you're not wearing a tie, you got you, you got to un- you got to do that. T- you have to unloose. You have yeah. to unbutton that button. Yes. Otherwise, it, you just kind of look it's, silly. It's, it's just this odd thing where it's um, the, the the top button's done up, and the bottom button of his waistcoat or whatever that is, is looks like a cardigan underneath. Uh, is is the bottom button's undone? It's yeah. just like, what are we doing? What is this? You know? <laughs> it's um, it's sort of like a, a mullet for for wardrobe. You know, business on the top yeah. and party on the bottom. And party on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for action it's, in both it, areas. It's a mullet costume. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the inside is red, but, you know, it's conservator on the outside, and but it's it's rock and roll on the inside. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I, I mean, we had a big, long discussion on some other show. Um, Cotton Collective. <clears throat> it's not like people don't uh, know already. <laughs> Uh-huh. That, that you guys it's do this other show called okay. The Cultum Collectors. We only mention it in every single episode of Talk to You Podshock, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dave, I'm, I'm behind in my payments on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. But uh, we had a big long discussion about it, and yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to see it in aesthetic photo, it's another thing to see the dang thing in action, and, you know, how often does he take the coat off? You know, what is the, the waistcoat? Dearly look like you know when that's off. It what does it look like in action? You yeah. know, and yeah, how well, that, does he that's... wear that costume? I, I kind of said the same thing, you know. You know, also I think this is just the first iteration of it. I think you know as the series mm. goes on, it will probably mature and change a little bit. And I do hope it does because I, I you know, I just I don't like when the doctor's wearing just like a, a uniform and it's the same exact thing from episode, you know, from story to story. It's nice. You know, to have it change, you know, keep a similar style. You know, that, that was my complaint right. with, with JNT. Once he came, everything became a uniform, and including the doctor's yeah. outfit and Tegan. Everyone, I mean, Tegan couldn't understand she was a st- airline stewardess, um, but 
you know, everyone else was sort of in a uniform and stuck with it until eventually they started wearing different things. Right. Yeah, but that's 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 my main complaint is the top button. I just don't understand what that means. So I'm, I'm you know, nowhere near fashionable anymore, you know. Um, but yeah, I just don't understand what that's supposed to do, what that means, if it means anything, but why you would just... <laughs> Well, I, I think maybe that's his of buttons. You do them all up, or you have them all undone. Well, I think maybe that's, that's his way of being different, you know. Because yeah, I think it's also to to make sure that the inner lining there is displayed. I mean, that's part True. of it. But I mean, he could have done that with his hands in his pockets, but you know. But um, yeah, it's we're fans. We're nitpicking. Yes, that's what. But we they're do. not Doc Martens. That's 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 the main news for this week. They well, only be, yeah, because we made a point of saying that they were Doc, Doc Martens. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be mentioning it at all. But it's just the fact that since in our last episode, which was recorded before the BBC clarification that they weren't Doc Martens, so um, whatever. <laughs> Everyone can sleep easy at night or whatever, or at least get your cosplay right or whatever. But those that have bought Doc Martens, you still could wear them as shoes or, or wear them with your cosplay. Just, you know, you don't have to be I so anal. I wonder how many got taken back. Oh, <laughs> no, I bet, yeah. These, these 300 pound shoes don't quite fit. Oh, I know the Doctor Who fan. <laughs> Bloody Doctor Who fans, that's the fifth one this this week. Having him pack the bloody shoes. <laughs> so, I don't know why I had to do it in a Scottish accent, but <laughs> hey. Well, because he's he's uh, Scottish, uh, Paul. True. Picard, True. Uh, Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Uh, Peter, Peter. He still looks like a Paul to Peter me. Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Peter, 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 Peter. It's easy. Peter Capaldi. Come on, Dave, say it. Peter Capaldi. Oh, yeah, he's getting better. You've been practicing while I've been gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the last time I was on here. <laughs> yes. So, and also, anyway. in our last episode, we spoke about awards. Um, you know, Big Finish had won some awards. Um, and now there's... Um, um, Broad Street wins best. Now, I'm not familiar with now. Broad Street is Broadchurch. Broadchurch. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just making stuff up as Where we go along. <laughs> is a uh, TV crime drama. It's, uh, is mm. it, 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 it's, I'm, oh, I'm, it's been a highly successful on ITV. Uh, to the point where by which uh, there's going to be a second series. Um, and also, I think there's going to be an American version of it. But well, um, of course, uh, it's not going to be as good, but I'm sure there will be. If, yeah. if it's doing well it, in the it's, UK. It's the, the South Bank Awards that it's won. And the reason we mention it, of course, is that uh, David Tennant is the main star in that. Now, and, uh, how long well, has he fun. been a star in it? I mean, how well, long... They, they've done the first, they did the first uh, scene. And, of course, um, the Arthur Darvel was in the first series of uh, Broadchurch as well. So um, this is this is so, going on for, like, two years or three years? Or, uh... no, it, was, it was a mini-series. It was how many episodes, David? Six, I think. Six. Oh, and if anybody wants to send any feedback to uh, to, to Ponchok, you can reach Lewis Trapani at the third rock from the right... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't watch. Uh, I don't watch TV. I, I never heard of Broadchurch. I never heard of it. Seriously, but this is someone. I, I um, the the recent actor that had just passed away, Philip 
something something. I I know him. Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, thank you. I I wouldn't know him by name either. I, I I've seen a few of his movies, but and I recognize him as a person. I, and this is no disrespect to him as a, I you know I, I mean no disrespect. I just you know I I was kind of kind of amazed how well known he was and I wouldn't be able to you know I wouldn't be able to point to him if you told me his name you know I, I, again that's not I just I you know whatever <laughs> unless they are unless they're on a show that I watch or a movie that I, you know, which is right now it's limited to uh to very few right now and uh, speaking of course of broad church um greater Chris Chibnall has uh, spoken about David Tennant's American accent in Grace Point. Um, I guess he's going to be doing, he's been reprising his role. Apparently he's got an excellent accent, um, which probably surprises a lot of the people who saw the, uh, the, I guess there was some leaked um, footage from a pilot episode he did for an uh, American crime law drama where he had a not so good American accent. But it remains to be seen. But yes, uh, uh, the, the TV series will be called Grace Point, and uh, David Tennant will be in it. So you know how how, how little you know, Lewis. <laughs> Simon Hoffman was uh, four Oscar nominations for The Master in 2012, Doubt 2008, Charlie Wilson's War 2007, and Capote, which brought him to a lot of people's attention in 2005. Yes, I wanted to see that it's, movie, it's, it's, but I hadn't. I, it's one of those movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I recognize him for the trailer for that, but I, I, I have yet to see the movie. The, 51 feature film releases. Yeah, no, he's he's very prolific. I um, I checked into it, and I was amazed how much he's been in. But out of all, out of so much he's been in, I've maybe about three of those movies I had seen, um, most notably um, The Big Lebowski, um, uh, something Mr. Ripley. Um, the Talented Mr. The talented Ripley. The yeah. Talented Mr. Ripley. And um, uh, another movie that um, that Robin Williams uh, plays a doctor. Uh, Robin Williams plays a doctor in it. Um, and I, I can't remember. He was in that too. Uh, if I hear it, I'll know it. I can't think of the name offhand. So uh, the, about three films. And he's done like 50 some odd films. But... Uh, <laughs> Out of all those, I think I've seen um, three or four at most, and the, and like the most recent is probably um, the Big Lebowski or, or something like that. Anyway, so um, and uh, again, I wanted to see Capote, uh, Capote, but I didn't. Not as it, I still want to see it. I just haven't seen it yet. But now getting back to David Tennant, now he's um, not <laughs> not only is he um, busy with this broad church tv show but he's also um he's going to be in a new movie which um it's postman pat the movie which is a cg animated film which again i never heard of postman pat either so i'm assuming this postman was pat. Postman this was a, a tv i'm assuming it's black and white cat oh my sorry i just <laughs> sing it yeah you, know, you even got the theme down so i'm guessing yes. this was a television yeah. series because it's saying postman yeah, pat the movie yeah Kids, kid, uh, preschool, yeah. basically. That's um, what I'm guessing. Uh, stop. It was basically stop motion animation originally. Now I guess they're doing the movie in CG. But yes, I am familiar with Postman Pat. Very familiar. <laughs> well, then, now you're scaring me. Called Jess. 
He has a cat named Jess. Jess. I don't know. Pat is joined with his cat, Jess. Yes, Jess the cat. Yep. So, yes. I didn't realize that, uh, yeah. So, so who's David Tennant uh, voicing, do we know? I would imagine Pat himself, I would have thought. No, this is someone, uh, Stephen Mangan. Be the cat. Pat played by Stephen Man- Mangan. Uh, no, see, I mean, oh, right. Oh, Richard Mangan. Uh, Stephen Mangan. Stephen Mangan was, um, uh, d- played Dirt Gently in Dirt Gently's Detective Agency, if I remember rightly. Oh, which is, um, which is a good little series. Yeah, that's um, Douglas Adams. Yeah. Jesus, there's not a lot of detail uh, on the Internet Movie Database, which is surprising nobody's made it up yet. Um <laughs> It, for uh, David Tennant, it just says voice. Um, and the same with Jim Broadbent. Uh, Rupert Grint, uh, who you remember from the uh, Harry Potter movies, is playing Josh. Uh, 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 says David ahead, Tennant David. plays the, David, uh, the former Doctor Who actor, provides the vocals for Postman's Nemesis. <gasps> Presumably, there must be a new baddie for the actual movie. Mm-hmm. Postman Fred, probably. <laughs> a rival postman bent on evil postage delivery. I don't know. Also, I get this Ooh, vision uh, of Newman from Seinfeld being in that movie. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Newman. <laughs> <laughs> and Doctor Who action figures perform Lou Reed's Perfect Day. Oh, that's in a related story on this webpage. I'll have to look at that later. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I, I have some um, late-breaking news about um, my favorite doctor, of course, uh, Colin Baker. He, he weighed in again on the, on the, uh, about there being a female doctor, and, and it looks like it, 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 it might actually happen. Um, we just got a new Colin doctor. Saying, <laughs> are, are, you, are you saying Peter, saying, Peter Capaldi's leaving? <laughs> We're getting a sex change. Who knows? Um, but uh, Colin is quoted as saying uh, there should be a, a female doctor. It won't happen because they're too timid. But, sh- uh, but should there be a first female doctor, I'll have a sex change and do it. I'm in touch with my feminine side. <laughs> well, I, so, I would be ex- actually accepting of a sex change. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't accept a regeneration, though. It's just. I made my. I, I spoke about this in a previous episode, but my feeling is that either they need to reboot the series as the Doctor as a female, or it has to be some other thing other than a regeneration that makes him female. Only because I, I think there just needs to be some limitations on. It's just because you're already dealing right. with a format that is so open, you can go anywhere, anytime, any place with the TARDIS, which is great, unlimited storytelling. Um, and, and this is one of the reasons why I have a problem with how the sonic screwdriver is used today, because it's a magic wand. It can do everything. And that's and, and I disagree with that, too. There, there should be some clear limitations. I even I didn't agree with um, when with the ninth doctor when he was talking about regeneration. He said, oh, I don't know what I could have two heads or whatever. I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> you know, not unless something goes terribly wrong with the regeneration. I, you know. You know the, the the reasons why they put a limitation of twelve. You know, originally with twelve regenerate. You know, there needs to be some when you have when you're dealing with a format that that is completely. I mean, that's why the TARDIS is stuck in the shape of a police box. Okay, yes, it's economically right. feasible to keep it in a, in a police box, but it's good to have some limitations, some constraints that 
the, you know, within this open format. And um, so, so I'm all for having a fe- I'm all for having a female doctor as long as it's not that he just regenerates into one. Um, it, it either reboot the series with the doctor as female, which is fine, or um, somehow he, he he changes sex in some other fashion other than a regeneration. Or a par- parallel universe story where there's a female doctor. Yeah. Or you know, I'm all for yeah. bringing back Ramana as well and having some adventures with... Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's like... It's a, it, to me, it's it's not a matter of sexism or anything. It's just a matter of some things need to stay the same and it needs to be... Uh, 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 you know, an English well, it's part, not, you know? Yeah, it's like... Bond being British. I mean, uh, hmm. uh, I think you could have a black actor playing Bond as long as he's a British black actor playing Bond, if you know what I mean. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you get away with an American playing Bond, to be honest. And, you know, well, it's and just, I don't think. It's just that. I don't think, think a woman should play James Bond either because that would make it Jane Bond and then that changes, yeah. you know, the character entirely. I mean, obviously the doctor's not British, but he's. I mean, obviously, anytime he goes to Earth, nine out of ten times, it's it's the UK. So, if they was to change that to even my own my 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 backyard here in New York, it w- I would still it would irk me because that's not what the the show is about. You know, it's 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 what attracts me to it is the British quality. You know, is that otherwise it's it's a different show. Yep. Wow, boy, are we meandering. <laughs> well, we said we didn't have a lot to talk about, and that always means we, we're going to talk sure. a lot. Yeah, it's, it means we make stuff up as we go along. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Dr. Upanchak, and we're going to review, if you didn't guess it already, from the clip that we played and some of the hints that we've been dropping, we're going to be reviewing the Crimson Horror. So uh, stay tuned. Oh, let him say it. It's better when he says it. The Crimson Horror. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so we'll be right back with Dave. Dave. The Crimson Aura. He <laughs> <laughs> put me right off my mouth. Can't get good helping stage, I tell you. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, this is John Levine on your pod shock. I played uh, Sergeant Benton from 1969 to 1974. I have the joy, of course, of working a year with Patrick Troughton, four years with John Pertwee, and a year with Tom Baker. All of you listeners on the Doctor Who pod shock, I cannot tell you how exciting it was to be down here. So once again, John Levine, Sergeant Benton, thrilled to be on the Doctor Who pod shock, and I will return. I shall come back. Well, thank you, John. I think you're probably due to come back just about now. I wonder if you're back in Los Angeles now. I'd certainly wish I was there, I mean, to escape the cold weather that we're having here in New York. And also this time of the year, uh, there's also a little annual convention taking place in Los Angeles. So if um, you're listening, John, or any of our listeners that are attending, um, I hope you have a good convention um, and um, enjoy yourselves. And uh, But... It's freezing here in New York. The past couple of weeks, it's been below uh, freezing, and it doesn't look like it's going to get warm anytime soon. So that goes to our selection for this week's audiobook from Audible. And as you know, Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. 
Audible has over 150,000 titles, titles to choose from. Um, and of those, about like 266 or somewhere in that ballpark are Doctor Who titles. Um, they, But it's not just limited to Doctor Who. They cover all genres, you know, be it obviously science fiction, comedy, business, romance, thrillers. They have it. Audible will play on your iPhone, your Android, Kindle, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you, listeners of Doctor Who Pachak, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial so you can check out their service. Now, if you find out that it's not for you and you don't like it, you don't want to continue, fine. You just cancel and keep your free audiobook. Now, to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash pachak. Again, that's audibletrial, one word, dot com slash pachak. And if you're driving, you can't write that URL down. You can't type it in, whatever. Don't worry. Just go to our site, pachak.net. You'll find links to it there as well. Now, what we're going to, um, our recommendation. Now, John Levine mentioned that he had worked with the second doctor, and it's a second doctor story. It's Doctor Who, Wheel of Ice. So very fitting for uh, the temperatures here in the Northeast. Well, actually, for most of the country, uh, but uh, not all of it. Um, it's uh, written by Stephen Baxter, and it's narrated by not Patrick Troughton, but his son, David Troughton. And he does uh, such a marvelous job with capturing you know, that essence of Patrick Troughton's voice. So, uh, you know, let's hear a little bit about this right now. It's, um, it's it, again, it's, um, the the story is the wheel of ice. It's, it's a ring of ice and steel turning around the moon of Saturn and uh, with a mining, mining colony there collecting resources for earth. So I'm not going to tell you more. It's nine hours and 48 minutes is not the clip, but it is the actual audiobook. So we're just going to play a few minutes of that. But if you want to get the full delight, make this your selection again, Doctor Who Wheel of Wheel of Ice. Let's hear a little bit from it right now. Chapter One. In the vortex that lies beyond time and space tumbled a police box that was not a police box. The control room was empty. It was a spacious, brightly lit chamber. It alone was too big to have fitted into the battered exterior of the police box, and doors and passageways leading from it hinted at more inexplicable volumes beyond. Inset multicolored roundels pleasingly adorned the walls. A central console dominated the room, a hexagonal platform encrusted with switches, dials, monitor screens, and levers, with a translucent cylinder standing motionless at the console's heart. The room was silent, save for a hum of unseen engines. And on the gleaming floor in one corner lay two modest musical instruments, a wooden recorder and a bagpipes practiced chanter. Beside them was an elderly hardback book, the reader's place carefully marked with a sliver of plastic. Its title was Brave New World, the author Aldous Huxley. Abruptly, the console's central cylinder began to rise and fall, and a strange sound rent the air, a rhythmic, metallic wheezing. Distracted from their different pursuits, the ship's three crew hurried towards the control room. Zoe Harriet was first to arrive. She was a short, compact young woman with her hair cut in a neat bob. She had an open, pixie-like face, and when she was in the mood, an infectious smile. 
She wore a jumpsuit from her own era, the latter half of the 21st century, comfortable but form-fitting, panelled with pastel colours. She glanced around the control room and spotted the book on the floor, the latest she had borrowed from the ship's chaotic library. Once she had worked as a librarian and had fallen in love with books. Since joining the crew of the TARDIS, she had become fascinated by history, or rather, she had joined the crew to discover history and the wider universe. And she was intrigued by books like this, speculations about the future by a man who had become a historical figure in his own right. Jamie hurried in moments later. Oh, what no! James Robert McCrimmon, brawny, strong-featured, wore the kilt and shirt with lace-up throat and cuffs that characterised his own origins in the Scotland of the 18th century. The effect was spoiled only a little by the pair of roomy carpet slippers on his feet. They both knew what the column's motion signified, the robotic grinding. This boat's landing, said Jamie. As Zoe opened her mouth to reply... Again, that was Doctor Who Wheel of Ice, a second Doctor story, as you can probably tell from the companions there in the TARDIS. And uh, it could be your selection for your free audiobook, or you could choose whatever you like. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. Dr. Upachak, and as you guessed it, we are reviewing the... Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. The Crimson Aura. <laughs> you're, you're right, Ian. He does it better than anyone. Well, I need, I need a drink now. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nobody said jelly babies. Oops, there we go. There you go. So, which means, without further ado, I need to give this warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 So, uh, yes, there, there will be spoilers. 
Spoilers. Spoilers. All right. Well, <laughs> and, and those that are mystified saying, uh, Lewis, the show, uh, this episode was last May of 2013. Why are you doing spoilers? Uh, everyone's watching Doctor Who in their own time and all that. So um, they're, they're going to be, you know, people that are just uh, becoming fans now that may not have seen it. So um, just giving fair spoiler warnings if you haven't seen the Crimson Horror um, to um, maybe take this episode of Doctor Who Parchock and um, dip it in some red sauce and um, save it for later. Okay, so as I said, the Crimson Horror, it was uh, it originally was broadcast on the 4th of May, 2013. It runs about 45 minutes. It's written by Mark Gaddis, who's no stranger to Doctor Who. Uh, he has written for it before and starred in it as well, and um, he's done some Sherlock stuff as well, but that's another thing. And it's directed by Sal Metz, <clears throat> Metzstein, if I'm pronouncing his, his name properly. Yep, I think that's right. Yes. I probably would consider this or uh, categorize this uh, somewhere as a Dr. Light episode since he doesn't show up until 14 minutes into the episode. And I think Clara is like, doesn't show up until about 16 minutes into the episode. They're pretty much, once they do show up, they're pretty much in it for the whole episode but i i know usually in the production run there's they do a double up where they're shooting two episodes at once and uh though i don't know that it was the case for this it's um it seems like it might have been the case since we go for so long without seeing you know um matt smith or general louise coleman in it and there's certainly a long scene at the end where Matt Smith's not in, so certainly it it reduces Matt Smith's mm-hmm. load, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. So, and it does see the return of, um, you know, what is it, Madame Vestra and Jenny and Strax, who, you know, we've seen before, and they, they pretty much pull the weight, you know, that when the Doctor's not there, they carry the show and all that. And, um, and again, those three work very well together, and, um, you know, it, it gives... Every time you see that, you think, oh, well, maybe they should do a, a, a spin-off of these three. But as as preposterous as that is, you know, um, having a Silurian in the in the Victorian age, and it doesn't seem feasible, but who, they, they seem to pull it off. I think that would work better as a, a, more as a children's program if they did that, because the, obviously with Strax being basically yeah. uh, uh, the, the funny guy, really, I mean, well, uh, is... I mean, sort of what they did with um, Elizabeth Sladen, you know, they, um, and unfortunately now that she's no longer with us, that, that could, you know, take this, uh, you know, I don't want to say fill her shoes, but, you know, take the spot that, that um, the, the Sarah Jane Adventures, you know, held previously. Indeed. So we're in Yorkshire, uh, 1893, obviously um, in the same time period where Madame Vestra, Jenny and Strax are. And it's uh, north of London, so uh, Strax, you know, makes a. <laughs> I think we last seen him fighting in um, in some northern territory, as uh, so you know he's and being up in Scotland, I think last yeah. time. So <laughs> he makes jokes about that. Well, well you know, he, he's saying that we, we should he, uh, you know, should bring all these different armaments and all that, and the reason being is that you know we're going north, you're going to need them. <laughs> <laughs> And it's uh, business as usual, as um, they, they joke around with that too, you know, where 
you know, Jenny's mission was to seek out any danger and follow up and, you know, in her mission to find the doctor and all that. So it, it's an interesting story because, like I said, you don't see the doctor or Clara until a good almost 15 minutes into the story. And then once you do, then it, there's um, a backstory which was presented to us in a format of like an old time movie motif. And, and there's even a reference to Tegan in it. So <laughs> it, it seemed like if you watch it, it when they, sh- they first start that old-time movie motif, um, it's a lot more grainy in the beginning. And then as as the story goes on, it gets less and less grainy. But it, it still has the little specks right. and dust and all that. that you, and, and, and again, um, they didn't have to do that. It was They, they were just using that as... Um, you know, um, you know. I guess the the movie. I don't know. The, um, well, it was a shorthand, really, to so yeah. that the, the, the whole the whole thing is that they wanted that surprise thing where, uh, when they're looking at the photograph, this uh, this um, picture taken from the uh, the op- optogram, uh, that we would see this shot picture. Of the the last thing that they saw, this person saw, was the doctor's face. So they wanted that nice reveal. Uh, but on the other hand, then they had to give the information quickly about how the doctor got into that that mess, as it were. Uh, and I thought that was a, a very nice... And it also reinforced for me the sort of uh, historic uh, nature of it, because it was like, um, you know, the, the birth of photography almost. Not, not film, but photography in the way that was done. I thought that worked extremely well. Yeah, though there's there's some um, debate about the the first motion picture camera. Uh, at least it was patented, I think, um, in in 1895, and so um, <laughs> this takes place in 1893. Um, but uh, th- there was another. Um, I think the Edison Company had something in 1891. So anyway, it, it, it it's at the birth of the film, <laughs> you know, the, the motion picture camera. So. Um, they probably wouldn't have sound either. It would have to be a, they, if they really wanted to do that way. They would have like these cue cards coming up, you know, saying what they were talking. You know, instead of actually them speaking. <laughs> I think that would be too much. <laughs> it's it's not a bad episode. I, there's a couple of things that bug me though. Is the the, the whole Tom Tom joke and the yeah, what, violence towards horses now. Thomas Thomas, I, that kind of went over my head. I mean, is this is, is that re, was that supposed to be referring, or is, am I supposed to be clued yes. into something? There's, there's, a, there's Tom a service Tom? slash device called TomTom, which is a, a GPS device. Ah, yeah. now I get Finally, it. Finally, he gets it. <laughs> it arrives. Excuse me, sir. I didn't, I didn't connect Your the dots. Arrived. I didn't connect the dots. You know, I said, "Oh, he's using him as a GPS because he came up and he he was he was talking like he was a GPS." You know, go a half mile. I'm like, no one back then was going to say, you know, he's going to say, go to the pharmacy store, make a right, you know, yeah. pass the horse, and you know, you're not going to say, "Oh, you go oh, a half you, mile." Yeah, I bet you would say that. Uh, that child actually got for that was really wooden. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was that was a skit. Uh, although I must admit, I agree with Ian. Although I, the Tom Tom thing was okay. Uh, I don't know why Straxley bought the fourth time this week, and I'm, I don't even want to eat any more horse or something. I don't, I don't know why. Yes. Yeah, I'm not even hungry. Eat it. <laughs> he says. Yeah, he said I'm not even, even hungry. I, I found that kind of um, unnecessary and a little kind of gross. Like, yeah. oh, well, well, if the horse doesn't do as it's told, Strax kills it and eats it. It's like, 
yeah, I just didn't didn't like that at all. It did not sit well with me. Mm-hmm. It could sit well with others. Other people might not mind, but me. Eh. Well, I, I obviously I, I I didn't I didn't take him seriously, but but I think it probably was yeah, not I mean, seriously. Joking or you know, it's just it just it was that one one of those. Did we really need to say that? You know. Yeah. I mean, as far as episodes go, I mean, you know, it, it was Doctor Light. The Tegan reference was welcomed very much so. Yeah. And then, then he goes well, to Clara, Australian. and then he, he you know, I, I just, you know, not only does he reference Tegan, but then he immediately after that he tells Tegan, I tells Clara Braveheart, which you know, yeah, Braveheart, Clara. Which, for those of you who don't know, that it was a completely ad libbed line by Peter Davison, which he constantly, you know, expressed to Tegan. Mm-hmm. Which it just it just became part of his doctor, which is fantastic, you know. And mm-hmm. it's gone, you know. It's it's survived even, you know, this far. So it was for that reference to be in there, you know. Yeah, it has it's not like somebody just wrote that line for the yeah. doctor. It's something that just came out naturally in the course of making an episode and has stayed in the show, which makes it even more special, I think. Sort of like reverse the priority of the neutron flow. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, 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 getting back to the episode, uh, the, the, the double act between um, Diana Rigg and... Oh, I forget oh. her daughter's name. Uh, Rachel Sterling. Rachel Sterling was, is just phenomenal. The... the she Rachel was was actually they were both brilliant um, in different ways. Um, Rachel, you know, played the demure kind of um, quiet daughter um, until she finds out the diabolical plan, and then when she goes nuts on her mom, sorry, mum, uh, um, just this whole different side of her comes out, and it's yeah, you know, it's like one of those things where you can tell that they're related. <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the characters because you know she becomes like her mother is wild and you know um yeah we felt we failed to mention that diana rigs in it um that's uh, I, I, she's 70 um i mean today she's 75 i'm assuming when they shot this she might have been 74 or whatever or 73 whatever but i mean she, you would never i mean I would never have thought it would have, you know, because I, I haven't seen her recently. I, I still know her as Emma Peel, right. you know, so she's, um, oh, yes. you know, obviously um, she's aged. Her as Emma Peel. <clears throat> she's Sorry, aged what? a little bit since then, so. Uh, yeah. But still. A great performance. Bloody brilliant, if I, do, if I do say so. I mean, yeah. just, yeah, Matt is a. <laughs> yeah. That is, I'm trying to think of a, an analogy for that one. It's like, but just, just completely bonkers and, and the right kind of bad woman, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, she doesn't care. So, yeah. Well, I love the line. Uh, th- th- there's a line where the doctor delivers, you know, he goes, you know, this, the, the whatever, this, this, in the in the wrong hands would mean the death of everyone, whatever. I, I, again, I don't remember the line, mm. but, you know, then she, she you goes to him. Look at these. What are these? <laughs> and he's looking. He looks a little puzzled. He says, they're the wrong hands. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was good. 
brilliant because yeah, that's such an often trotted out like i know i know this could be dangerous in the wrong hands this vial could poison the world in the wrong hands and she just comes right right out of it what are these they're the wrong hands i thought that was an excellent line and and so well delivered oh. and the actual the episode was was actually written for the two of them which was even more fantastic that it took full advantage of of, of their talents you know, oftentimes you get a script and then they cast and somebody becomes that role. Here we have something that's kind of tailor-made for the two of them to, to showcase their, their talents and and uh, just, you know, let the audience have it. And they do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what it is. And that's why I think one of the reasons why it's a bit of a Dr. Light episode too is because it's really about the two of them. And you know, and it's time for the, the, the Paternoster gang to have a bit of, uh, a little more work because we see them and they're oftentimes helping out the doctor in small ways. But here we, you know, I mean, and it gets kind of repeated in the season finale too. We get them mm-hmm. doing a little more leg work, but you know, here we get to sh- get to see them actually doing some, some investigating, you know, they go and investigate and, and, and Jenny gets in there and, um, you know, and strikes, picks up small boys <laughs> it is the BBC. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was too soon. Too soon. No. Well, um, but it is. It's good to see them doing doing some of that work. And of course, the fainting gag never oh, gets that old. Was, yeah. That was yeah. excellent. The running gag. Yeah. Yeah, the running gag. And then the, the very very end, just as the TARDIS dematerializing, he walks up. I was just wondering if there's been any uh, <laughs> any new developments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and off he goes again. <laughs> Yeah, uh, let me just uh, agree with uh, about the guests. I mean, we, we've had some great guest actors on. I mean, the, I think they queue up to come on Doctor Who. I mean, that's how how prestigious the program is now. Um, just a reminder, as more to Ian than uh, well to the listeners as well. Uh, the, the the daughter Rachel Z, uh, Sterling, uh, she's been in uh, the Bletchley Circle. Um, she's one of the characters in that Millie. Um, so she's 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 worked with Anna Maxwell Martin, who's been in Doctor Who in the past. So um, you know, I. I to say that she, well, she comes from one of these acting families, doesn't she? I mean, uh, the the two together. I, I agree with you, uh, Lewis, uh, Diana Rigg. You, you're sort of halfway through before you even realise. You know, this is a sex symbol. Yeah, you would never. I would <laughs> never have guessed. You know, if I if I didn't know, you yeah. know, being being a Doctor Who fan and knowing that she was going to be in it, I would. You know, if they didn't if they didn't have her in the credits, whatever. You know, I would not be any wiser that that was Diana Rigg. I would never have guessed. Yeah, uh, but to, to, to like uh, how our, our friend Mike would use it, there's quite a lot of tropes in here. But um, uh, I mean, we we had this, uh, you know, the uh, the crimson horror that was said. I don't know how many times it was in the script. Far too many times. Brilliant drinking game if you want to actually do that when you're watching the episode. How many um, points do you get for a phallic rocket? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think you have to have tequila, salt, and a lemon for that. Um, but um, I mean, this this idea of these model villages. Of course, this was this was uh, one of the great things of the uh, the Victorians, the people who made so much money. I mean, uh, when they saw what was happening, there was quite a number of them. I mean, the the most famous one here in the UK is probably. Uh, Port Sunlight from the uh, the Soap Millionaire and uh, Bourneville Chocolate. They they made their own village called Bourneville. Cadbury's produced one. 
in fact, um, uh, well, where's the Bourneville West Midlands was in 1879, at Port Sunlight was in 1888. Uh, New Bolsover, there's lots of them. Uh, Woodlands, South Yorkshire was two, uh, 1905. There are lots of model villages that these industrialists did. And when you see them in that village hall where, where she's eulogising, you know, trying to get them to come in, when they see that, you know, what, what we see is a reveal when the daughter shows the thing that you think, well, this is showing... She's showing them a picture of a factory and they're all pleased. But it wasn't that. It was the open spaces and things. And often, by the way, when they did these things, the people who came to these villages had to sign very strict rules. They had to sign, like, temperance rules that they wouldn't have alcohol. You know, they wouldn't hang the washing up on Sundays. They'd go to church on Sundays. So they were. This was building on something that was happening uh, in various parts of the country at the time, that... You know, people would sign up to to join these model villages. When you think of all, you know, the 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 London pea supers and the fact that people wanted to get out of that squalid side of life, and these were, you know, places with green spaces and so on. Admittedly, they were still working six hours, uh, six days a week, and they were probably still leaving school at twelve and fourteen to work in the factories. But at least they had, you know, sanitation and maybe even an outside toilet to each house, not just one at the end of every street. So uh, I thought that was great. Uh, if I go back to, uh, uh, I have to say, it's Cyber Kings, the last story we had, which was actually the next doctor, which was a, a really good story, spoilt for me by the Cyber King. Here, at least we, although I didn't like the idea of the, the rocket to jumping to the end here, I shouldn't mm-hmm. really do this yet, but um, right. where we have the rocket taking off, that was the only thing that really took me out of it a little bit with um, you know, the fact they weren't all burnt to a crisp as this rocket took off. But mm-hmm. I, I loved the idea uh, before, and this, um, the, the only other thing I got confused with is when uh, she's trying to, uh, when Miss Gillyflower's trying to feed this little creature, which when I first saw it, Sorry, it, it looked like a baby Slovene to me with its little eyes and that. But um, yeah, I thought she'd knock the salt over because she says something like she throws them over her shoulder and say, you know, renounce the devil or yeah. something, mm-hmm. which is what you do. But with of course, salt, she's yeah. feeding it sugar. Sh- well, I well, know sugar because it's called Mister Sweet. Yeah. Uh, the acting was fantastic, and there was some really actually it was quite gruesome. I mean, um, uh, the way that the daughter goes after the mother when she finds out that mm-hmm. she's been betrayed it with, with really goes for her, and yeah, uh, uh, yeah and, the, uh, and the way she kills this creature. Uh, but this was offset with humour. Uh, Strax, as always, is great. I mean, um, ably played. Um, mm-hmm. Ian will tell me by whom in a moment. Dean Stockley. Dan, 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 Dan Stockley. Yeah, uh, Dan, Stockley. Dan Stockley, uh, brilliant as ever. And, well, all of it. And also Jenny got more to do more this time, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. Jenny got a yeah. good showing this time, and she got to showcase her talents as well. And uh, and uh, the Doctor almost had his hands on her talents. Um, yeah. <laughs> to a quick, quick slap. I, I loved the other thing about this. Is there was a little bit of... Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory about it, wasn't it? Because I mean, mm. I mean, having it as a matchstick factory was great because we all know that the you know the the, the end of the matchsticks usually this red sulphur material, so it, you know it was a good cover. But they had this factory uh, and people were going in but not coming out, and you wonder you know what's making all of. It. And of course, they had these great big phonograph things inside, 
producing all the noises as though it was a busy factory uh, to mask the fact that, as uh, Jenny so ably noticed, there was no smoke coming out the chimney. So that was uh, was that. Uh, I thought it was uh, really well thought out. A little bit of Hammer House of Horror in there as well. Uh, the scene with the doctor, you know, coming towards uh, the the door when the girl had fed him, and of course she's um, being blinded as we find out her rage against her mother, which is the fact that the mother had experimented on her, and then she pulls a gun on her. Um, <laughs> one thing at the end, I thought, if they were to do. Uh, a little thing with these guys. Of course, we know that Strax is medically trained and has all the equipment uh, because of the the Christmas episode, the snowman and that. Presumably, he could have cured uh, her blindness uh, at some stage. But um, by the way, uh, first watched by uh, uh, 4.61 million, uh, not a great deal, but of course, there's always the catch-up after that, uh, and an appreciation index of 85 but I think this is, again, one of those episodes that you can enjoy more and more as you watch it. Fantastic acting, great way of, um, uh, of mixing things around. And I think I'm ready for a clip. I was just going to suggest that. <laughs> what is the meaning of this? Oh, Mama, I have been foolish. I have formed a... Sentimental attachment. An attachment? To whom? A young man. Unlike the others, he survived rejection. He must be strong, worthy of salvation. Rekha! Berserker! You have loosed a reject onto the outside world. I have disappointed you. My plans must be accelerated. Nothing must interfere with the great work. But please say there is still room for me in your new Eden, Mama. Promise me that. I'll set my pilgrims onto him. No! Kindly do not claw and slobber at my crinoline. You know, I cannot bear to look at sick people. Promise me you will not abandon me, Mama. Promise me that. Do you not yet understand? There can be no place for people such as you. And only perfection is good enough. For myself and Mr. Sweet. <laughs> the bright day is done, child, and you are for the dark. Ah, she's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the other thing about that reminded me as well, because what she wants to do, of course, is 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 save beauty. Although you would have thought she would have realised how incongruous her own survival would have been because she would have been the only old person in it. It would have been like Logan's run all over again with the old man, uh, you know, the um, the uh, that they find outside the village. But what it did remind me of there, this is called, she, they call this uh, Operation Golden Age, doesn't it? But does it not remind you of the third Doctor story? Season 11, I think it was, classic Who, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. And spoilers for that, where uh, they're actually, uh, there are these people who think they're in a spaceship going to a new world, and what an actual fact actual happens uh, they're trying to uh, you know this is the one where the dinosaurs keep appearing in the streets through this time thing and um, in, in, in a say and of course if you think of turning over another way of doing it but this in a way was you know a, a clean slate which she wanted she wanted to she thought that everybody was um, 
you know, impure and the, the, the world need cleansing. The fact that she was the most evil person about didn't seem to be a contradiction. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I didn't quite understand her whole plan anyway. It's just like, uh, apart from the fact that she's just nutty as a fruitcake. My, excuse me, my take was that it was Mr. Sweet that was that had changed her in some way that had taken her, you know, that had altered her. And, and it, this symbiotic relationship was, I thought a lot of it was coming from this creature, which by the way, reminds me a bit of Star Trek, the next generation, the, um, the first se- first season of that, where they had these, oh, yes. those um, aliens that would, uh, that had taken over the humans and you would only know by the back of their necks that the tails were, were showing it. And, and also later on, um, was it Voyager but, or had Trills? Well, or was it Deep Space Nine? Deep Space Nine introduced... Uh, no, it's actually Star Trek Next Generation that first... No, had, next, had, genera- next, yeah. next Generation. Next Generation had, had, had a Trill, uh, which was a symbiotic relationship. So, but I, so I, thought that, I thought like the... The knowledge of rockets and all this was coming from Mr. Sweet because how would, you know... Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. So she, right. this this little creature had, even though it didn't speak itself, must have had some sort of higher intelligence. That's my... Well, it's a two-way thing. The very yeah. fact it's symbiotic, it's a two-way street, isn't it? They're each helping one another. Uh, but it's probably, as you say, modifying... Her, her thoughts and so on. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how long she's had Mr. Sweet. Yes. Obviously, it's not keeping her rejuvenated, is it? Uh, <laughs> because we don't know her daughter, Ida. We don't know when that when, when she afflicted her with that, you know, how long she's been that way. Right. No, she, In the sermon, she introduces her as, oh, well, my late husband did this to her or something like that. And uh, we don't know when he died or whatever, so we don't know how long she's been with Mr. Sweet. Right. It also reminded me of a carry-on film called Carry On Screaming. I don't know if you guys have seen that, where they no. used to vitrify people in uh, in, in uh, wax. That, that's a great episode if you ever see that one. Of course, it's... Uh, yeah. I'll just leave that at that. Um, but, but overall, actually, this... This you could argue this is a throwaway episode in in one sense, and it's a rather short episode. Although it's actually forty five minutes long, the actual story only takes up what forty minutes of the actual time. Uh, although we'll perhaps get to that a little bit later. Well, like I said, the doctor doesn't arrive until one third into it already. So fifteen minutes into it, you know, when so in in a sense, you know, it's it's could have been it. It could be to have, you know, because you, you see that recap and all that, the whole story could have been told in a half hour if necessary. Yeah, that montage sequence started about 17, yes. 17 and a half minutes yes. in. So a mm-hmm. um, uh, good way in. And um, oh, uh, and uh, I thought that the, the accents, by the way, seemed... I mean, there were, there were broader Yorkshire accents than you hear now, but, of course, the idea was... That, Again, if you hear the London accents, whenever people see these, uh, or hear them, should I say, they're, they're more historic accents, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, like in Blink, when, when the girl goes back to Oldersfield and, and things like that, uh, it, it's slightly over well, more than slightly overemphasized accent, because there's this sort of... Um, amalgam of accents that goes on within a country now with the amount of fluid movement around the country. But in those particular days, you know, you could almost tell what street you were in by the accents. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
This means absolutely nothing, but Gillyflower reminds me of Gallifrey. <laughs> just, just, it just does. <laughs> so, um, but it, it has, I'm just surprised that. Uh, I mean, it has nothing to do with um, Gallifrey or the story. It's just one of those things. <laughs> it just just surprised me that, that Strax identified her as a woman with all that body, all that clothes, her age, looking down a you know hundred foot chimney. <laughs> Hey, normally he's a little confused. Well, I suppose he's got a 50-50 chance of being, <laughs> you know. You boy, put down the gun. Yeah. <laughs> but it's quite vicious again. I mean, uh, there's the, uh, the, the way this, the girls sort of poked around with a stick and, and found it, because the doctor's just about thinking, well, I suppose I'll take it back to the Silurian period and, uh, you know, pop it, pop it in a nice little uh, cave and so on. And perhaps not. Yeah. And in a certain sense, I'm surprised the doctor wasn't that upset with um, Ada for killing it the way she did, because um, it it must have some sort of intelligence or some sort of, even though it wasn't, you know, it, 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 obviously it, it was evil or whatever, but I guess he didn't seem to mind. Yeah. It wondered whether I can't remember where they were filming here, whether they moved to the new studios, but uh, the 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 scene where we see where the rocket is in this very high ceilinged area, uh, the very same place that, that apparently you know when they'd done the uh, the Cyber King one, the next Doctor one, they'd filmed it in the same studio that had recently had the Torchwood set in because that mm-hmm. was the only set big enough to have that sort of thing. This looked as though it's been done in the same set, but I do know about this time they were moving to the new studios, weren't they, in Wales? I mean, they moved to this new purpose-built, whether Doctor Who experiences next door or something. That gave me another uh, little uh, link back to that. But all in all, I think this is... Well, we'll perhaps have a sum up in a minute. Well, what about this sort of tag? I mean, did you feel this second, this last bit was tagged on or what? Well, um, but, but just going back to what you said earlier, though, Dave, um, being, okay. a, being a throwaway episode, or um, I, I, the, w- the good thing with this is that um, as, as we saw, because we, we had reviewed the name of the Doctor already, so we, we did that before the day of the Doctor, so we kind of jumped ahead and we did Snowman, and then we jumped to the name of the Doctor. So those two episodes were sort of like bookends. And this is sort of, um, this once again re- reunited with Madame Vastra and Strax and Jenny. So this is sort of like a, a, a foreshadow or a reminder or getting, you know, so people wouldn't forget about those three characters because they're going to be coming back again at the end of the series for the ser- series finale. So I, I think it's important. And that, I mean, it tells, I mean, there's, and also the other fact is that they see Jen, they see Clara again and they keep, you know, waiting for the doctor to explain. I think it's the Victorian, yeah. Yeah, the and the doctor, never, the doctor never does explain right. because the doctor right. doesn't know himself. 
he can't explain it, you know, because he hasn't figured out. He doesn't know the mystery yet behind Clara. So he kept on saying it's complicated, it's complicated, because he couldn't really explain it himself. So, I mean, I, I thought, as far as the overall story arc, I thought it was, it serves its purpose in that respect, reminding the audience of the, you know, these three characters and also them seeing Clara and not, and that Clara is still a mystery, even though a journey to the center of the TARDIS, you know, he sort of accepts her as a, as a real person, but he still doesn't, he still can't explain the, um, the different forms of, that he's seen of Clara, you know, that she keeps on dying. And um, so it's, it's sort of just reminding yeah, them, uh, 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 reminding us of that theme. Yeah. And from the, yeah. And from the Hyde episode that we covered, he realized that if, if, if it is a secret, she's not in on it. Yeah. In other words, she's, she doesn't know it's happening. So it's not a deception on her part, mm-hmm. but it's still a puzzle to solve. Yeah. So now jumping ahead, we're, we're going to get into this. I, I, I'm assuming, Dave, you were, you were alluding to this um, epilogue of the story where yeah. where Clara says, oh, well, the doctor tells Clara, well, you're the boss. And she says, oh, I'm the boss. And then we don't see it, but we assume there's a scene in the TARDIS where she says, let's, uh, let's go back to my time, that she wants to go back home or something like that, because the next scene is they're back at home. Oh, she's back at home. Indeed. But it's definitely you. Of course it's not. And that's you too. 1983. I found it at school. No, that's just someone who looks like me. And that's someone who looks like your boyfriend. Was he an alien? Why would he be an alien? The chin. And the time travel. That's not right. You were in Victorian London. No, I was in Victorian Yorkshire. How come you didn't tell her? Time travel, that's so cool. Can we have a go? Can you have a what? We want to shut the time machine. No, 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 no. Listen. Okay. Or we'll have to tell Dad that our nanny's a time traveller. That, that sort of reminds me of um, that scene yeah. in the first, um, was it uh, the 2005 story where, um, uh, was it, no, it wasn't Rose. Um, I can't remember, whatever episode it was, where they, they ident- where this, this, guy, this recluse that's living somewhere that's identified the doctor in all these like historical photographs. You know, this is the Christopher Eccleston doctor. Well, that's Rose, doctor. that's Rose. That's the was first, it Rose? Yeah, it's the first episode okay. of Rose, yeah. It's, it sort of reminds me of that I don't yeah, know how these kids found all these photographs, and I, you know, I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know those, they they would actually, you know, take those, fo- you know, be posed for those photographs either. But um, they, evidently, they have. Uh, but the thing is, of course, that uh, uh, Clara's surprised to see her. She recognised, although she's reluctant to admit it, she recognises herself. But then there's the one she doesn't recognise, yes, yeah. which is, of course, the uh, the 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 one because she's. Uh, and she says, I was in Yorkshire. But um, the funny thing, I mean, I, I, first of all, my heart sunk when I saw this scene because I thought, oh, no, we're going to have K 
kids dragging along. The only thing they could do it was was because they were setting that up. Secondly, I, I thought, what a stupid thing. You know, what's the blackmail? They're going to blackmail it. We're going to tell our dad that you're a time traveller. So dad's going to believe that, is he? Yeah, yeah of course he <laughs> <Yeah>. is. Yes. <laughs> and then I was thinking, uh, well, if they do come, let's hope it's for just one episode, for heaven's sake. Ian. Yeah, it, it did seem really kind of shoehorned in at the end there. It like, was. Um, yeah. Well, we've got this episode that we wrote, and and uh, we've got to figure out some way of getting the kids into this. I know. Let's 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 put this bit on the end of this episode, and that's that's you know just the way it looks. It is, and uh, the thing is, of course, we don't we don't we don't know whether this bit was still written by Stephen Moffat or yeah. or not. Right. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just. Well, the, the, it, the episode was written by Mark Gaddis, so we don't know if this, if maybe Stephen Moffat maybe Mark wrote, Gattis, sorry, yeah. wrote uh, this. I didn't mean Mark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the next episode that follows on is written by Neil Gaiman, but you, you think that if there was some executive decision was made that we could fit this scene in here, we're a little bit short. Maybe that's why they did the montage to leave them that time, uh, so that they could go straight into. The, "Quote unquote," the exciting bit of the next story next week. Um, True. Well, I mean, kids, kids on the. I mean, it's not a kids' show; it's for us adults. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's for the fans. So overall, what about you, Lewis. What are, Oh well, I mean, I, 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 I said, as far as this this epilogue goes, I mean, the, the, my biggest problem was I I just. It was the believability. I just couldn't see how... I, maybe they might have found this one photograph, but then how would they... You know, even, even if you use Google's uh, image search, you're not going to be able to find a face throughout all history. You know, it just seems too coincidental that they would find one photograph, then another photograph with her on it. And then, I mean, how would they... You know, she, I, it's, it's one thing if they just discovered one photograph, like the one kid says, I found it in school, but then how did they come up with these other photographs? Oh, Lewis... <laughs> Lewis, Lewis, you're so slow, you're so slow. It was obviously Clara's Facebook 10-year video. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Simple explanation. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I, I succumbed to that and I, I posted mine, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, but overall, uh, as far as the, the whole story goes, um, I actually have to say I like this a lot more than I did when I first saw it. Um, not that I disliked it on the first showing, but it was sort of, for me, it was a middle-of-the-road story or maybe, um, I, I don't know, just a, it, it wasn't the whole symbiotic thing. I, like I said, it, it wasn't an original idea. We've seen it before. Um, it's, you know, and, and, we've, and it just seems like we... we you know, at the end of this episode, I think Clara makes a comment is that we've had enough Victorian values for a while, whatever. And it seems, just seems like every Christmas story, where every other Christmas story, we're back in Victorian times, and now we're back in Victorian. It just seems like we're. It seems like this, we keep on going back there a lot, and and then of course that's where you've Madame got Vast- the costume. Well, and then that's where Madame Vastra and Jenny and Strax are. So oh, now right. you, 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 it's a prerequisite to go to um, that time in order to see these characters. So. Um, so yeah, so but I don't know if it's that or um, you know the, the, also the fact that I was watching in standard definition and, and mono and um, analog sound and all that. So you know at that time and now I'm watching it as 
as it was meant to be seen and all that. Um, but I enjoyed it a lot more now, you know, than I did when it was, you know, in, in May of 2013. So, um, my, um, another big problem I have with this episode, which might not be surprising for a lot of people is that the, the doctor magically heals and cures himself with his magic wand, AKA the sonic screwdriver. He goes inside the, uh, Jenny puts him inside of a steam booth or a steam closet, or I don't understand what that was or what it was used for. But evidently... It was the fixing process. It was the process that fixed them, I think, that stabilised them. So, in actual fact, all these all these sonic screwdrivers did was set it in motion, maybe reprogram it, but his sonic screwdriver wasn't curing him. It was I, the well, booth it, it was didn't in. really explain that, so that's why, it just to me, it seemed like it was, oh, he rips out the sonic screwdriver, and once again, it, it does a magic thing and heals him, and then he's back to... Instantaneously, he's back to him, so, you know, his old self, you know, he's... He's jumping all around. He, you know, he was he was stiff. He was walking like the, the the Frankenstein monster, and then he comes out of it, and he's jumping off the ceiling, and uh, he's getting slapped, and it feels good. And um, I, don't know. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a deal breaker. It just you know, it I, I didn't understand what happened in that scene really. You know, but overall, um, I'm going to give it four out of five Tardis groans. I. I, um, like I said, I enjoy it more, and I think you know maybe like many times we say, sometimes the more you watch an episode, uh, the more you enjoy it. You know, and I think that was the case here for me. It's it's, it's still a, a nice little episode. You know, a good kind of mystery. You know, but a bit without the Doctor, so it gives us a bit of relief. You know, not that you know, I I, I kind of get used to the you know having the Doctor light episode, so it's good to see us get one. You know, this time around and. Uh, and and you know a bit of the Pedernosta gang isn't isn't too bad you know uh, they're funny you usually get the same approach in a, in a Doctor Who episode where the Doctor and companion arrive something bad happens they get involved things get fixed um, so it's nice to have these bits where you know it's not the Doctor and companion arriving on the scene being the first you know scene or the second scene mm-hmm. you know after the grisly murder we get the grisly murder then we get these three roaming around trying to find the doctor and turns out he's this monster tucked away in a, in a, you know, in a cell somewhere, um, about halfway through the episode. So it's, in that respect, it's good. It gives us something a bit different than we're used to with Doctor Who and the acting's top notch. It's just not necessarily my favorite storyline. You know, uh, like Dave said, you know, the, the, everybody's standing in the, the, the launch tower of the of the rocket, and not one person gets a one singed hair. <laughs> but you know, I'll leave that up to Perry to you know Perry Garakines to just cringe and go. <laughs> yeah, I bet he burned his fries when he was watching that. <sighs> but yeah, it, it it is a good episode. I mean, it, you know, it's got more pluses than minuses, um, and. You know, uh, plus Diana Riggs on TV. What more could you want? <laughs> Dave. Well, I enjoy it. And uh, uh, the Crimson Horror and right off me mash. Must mention we haven't mentioned him. Uh, uh, Amos, was it? Uh, the uh, the bloke, uh, Graham Turner. He, he mm-hmm. did a lovely little uh, cameo oh, yeah. part in that. I thought, <laughs> thought the, the, the more keeper, the um, undertaker, whoever. Um. That's 
That's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I think he 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 helped give a lot of atmosphere and place to it. And I'm not too sure where that actual factory in place was that they did, but it it may well have been Port Sunlight or somewhere like that. But I mean, obviously it was it, there was some matting done at the side of it, but um, it really looked placed in its time, and and I thought it. I enjoyed it more. The the odd things that sort of like the Strax thing with the horse and the uh, the bit with the rocket and the um, a couple of things like that they do fade away when you watch them second time. And I thought the the uh, the acting was brilliant, particularly between Diana and Rachel as a real life mother and daughter. I was I just going to excellent. I was, uh, which, I was just wanted to make a point of that. I don't know if we said that earlier, but um, you just you just mentioned it right now that that Rachel uh, Sterling is the actual daughter of Diana Rigg. They, they, not just on screen, but off screen. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is like the first yeah, time they had worked together yeah. on screen. Okay, I just wasn't yeah. sure if we made a point of and, it earlier. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And, Go and, ahead. Uh, no, it's okay. And she drinks one of my... If I do drink sherry, she drinks my favourite one, a Montalado sherry, which is always nice to know. But, um, no, I thought it was good. I don't know whether it would have been better, because one of the things that we've had running through this series, hasn't it, has been the great intelligence. I don't know whether it would work better with that than this uh, device. Than this creature, this semiotic um, Solarian time yeah. error creature? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose you could have had that issue where if the great intelligence had kept showing up, then it gets predictable. Yeah, but, it might no, take the hat too much. I'm just losing my voice at the moment. I need a drink. But um, I, I enjoyed it more. Any excuse. <laughs> <laughs> The Crimson Horror. That's it, folks. You know, he, he, <laughs> oh, he, Jelly you know, Babies. He, I'm he, sorry. He, jelly he, Babies. He's too busy. <laughs> Go ahead. He's too busy with a thought, and he can't pause for a while. He has to then make up an excuse, and his body reacts, you know. Well, it's, it's that Pontefract cake. It went down the wrong way. No, um, good episode. Slightly... F- I, I, I got worried when I watched it on that end sequence with the, you know, the kids, and I'm thinking, oh, no! No, no. But uh, that might be something to talk about uh, maybe on the next pod shop. So, how many TARDIS drones would you give it? I'm not quite sure I can bring myself to four, but it's nearer to four than three and a half. So, let's be generous and say four because of the acting. But it could so easily have been a three and a half. Hmm. And, uh, Ian, did you give your TARDIS drones? No, but I will. I'll, I'll basically agree with Dave, everything that Dave just said. Um, not because I like him, not because I have to work with him, but just because I want to. Um, <laughs> I, I think in in if the, if it was a different cast, it would have been a different story. But I think the acting kind of helps, you know, um, smooth over some of the the rough parts, like you know, the rocket, and you know, because mm-hmm. that's that's. That's that's an important thing, you know. We're talking about sci-fi. Some things are, you know, we can we can we can handle bigger on the inside, um, time travel devices. But you know, when a rocket takes off and it's got a whole lot of fire coming out of its rear end, you expect something to get burned if they're standing pretty damn close to it. Yeah, especially since it's eighteen ninety three technology. I mean, granted, it, it, yeah, rockets yeah. I don't think were around then. Um, were they? Well, China might have. Uh, oh come on! They've had for thousands of years rockets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Solarians had a rocket or two. 
I mean, they, they, they had dinosaurs in a spaceship. China had gunpowder for years. Yeah, well, I, that's why I said China, maybe. That's why I, I, I corrected myself. But. Yeah. but, you know, it's just... But the acting the acting saves it all, I believe. Um, and, yeah, so... I'll be generous and give it a four as well, like Dave. Hey! All right, well... Well, Lewis? I already gave... Thrones? I gave it four. I already gave mine. It was four. Yeah. Oh, originally, right, yeah. originally I would have given it three last spring. Uh, or you know, I, I probably would have said either two and a half or three. Yeah. And then, uh, but for whatever reason, I, I enjoy it more today than I did then. And um, and it's it's definitely uh, three and a half to four and more more. I'm giving it to four for Tardis Grounds. Yeah, definitely more enjoyable on the second or third watch. Right. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it goes with, um, you know, I try not to have too many expectations, but sometimes you can't help it, you know, especially when you see a preview for the next story. And and, um, and here we, we see a preview for um, The Nightmare and Silver, which which um, will be our next episode that we'll be reviewing next time, Nightmare and Silver. Um, as um, one of you two just mentioned, it's written by, right. by Neil Gaiman. So um, he's a very popular writer. And... Um, so stay tuned for the next before episode. Before this, he was. <laughs> what? Oh, before this. He was. Before that episode, he was. <laughs> well, uh, um, we'll, we'll, well, hopefully, Ian, hopefully Ian, you'll be back with us next week and we can get your, your take on this. Yeah, and like the kids, we can say to Ian, go, go over there and lie down for a couple of hours while the story goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take my bottle of wine then. <laughs> I want to remind everyone, uh, we don't have any to share with you for this week, but uh, as always, we welcome your feedback if you have some something to say about um, about the Crimson Horror or anything else related to Doctor Who or, um, you know, yeah, Doctor Who. We are a Doctor Who podcast, after all. Uh, please send your feedback to us. Um, you can call the, Poch, the, the Doctor Who Podshock public call box at 206 337 4699. Again, that's 206 337 4699. And that works like voicemail. So you call and leave a message and, uh, you know, and, and just, you know, try to keep it brief, you know, uh, two, three minutes. And if you can include your name, it could just be your first name if you like, or make up a name or just so that we can, you know, call you something. <laughs> or you can. Yeah, even if your name's not Ken. Yeah, whatever. Yes. Can you can can, can you call your name? Uh, yes, I know. I got it. It's a joke. <laughs> or you can email us, or uh, or record something on your smartphone or computer. It doesn't have to be elaborate, or it could be elaborate. It's up to you. Uh, you can record something and uh, email it to feedback at net. Again, that's feedback at net. Or you can go to our website, which is pachak.net, and um, there's a, a, a tab on the top for feedback, and it tells you all different ways that you could leave feedback. Everything from messages in the bottle to smoke signals to, um, you know, as I said, the Pachak public call box. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of Talk to You, Pachak, and you, you enjoyed the banter between Dave and Ian, you'll also enjoy their banter as well in the Cultum Collective, which you can catch live every Sunday at 2 p.m. on TalkShoe. And Dave is going to tell me the TalkShoe ID number. It's TalkShoe ID 54821. And uh, if you want to actually know what the Cultum 
Colton Fletcher thought of this episode. Um, go back to episode 201 where we were talking about the Crimson Horror. <laughs> the Crimson Horror. Um, yes, and if you don't... Horror. And if you don't catch the live show, uh, Cultum Collective is also available on iTunes or your various other um, podcatching you know, clients. If, what you also can do is, um, and when this episode goes out live, it will be on the front page right now. Right, currently on net, we have a, a poll that runs what's how do, how do you rate this episode. So um, right now, as we record this, it's Journey to the Center of the TARDIS is up on the front page because that was our review for last episode. But when this episode goes out, if you go to net, you can um, review, you know, you can give your TARDIS groans on how you felt about this episode too. And also, once you do, you can see how others you know, have rated it too and see where it ranks on that. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Once again, it's been a delight. I had a lot of fun and, um, you know, until next week, cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Yep. Thanks for having us. Thank Bye. you. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifernMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. Just get a flower. You have no idea what you are dealing with in the wrong hands. That venom could wipe out all life on this planet. Do you know what these are? <laughs> the wrong hands.